Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Thanks, guys. Everybody stand. Let's honor the reading of the word of the Lord, and we're just going to get right into the message today. Man, God is good, isn't he? Man, what worship. What a moment of worship that was. I hope you didn't miss it. You know, I think sometimes, man, when we come to church, we treat it sometimes. Some, this has distracted me now, too. Uh, no, they're, they're one of our ladies in the church, literally, she came to me last weekend, and she said, I know it's probably the devil. But she said, I brought you this cup, this, this holder, because I cannot focus on what you're saying because I'm so nervous you're going to knock that bottle of water. Because I did it, I did it not long ago. I knocked it down. And so she's like, could you please just use this so I don't have to worry about it anymore? I'm like, all right. So now we everybody give her a hand clap because you were all, you're all so concerned about it. You know, sometimes when we come into worship, we don't realize the opportunity in it and I just want to encourage you don't miss it you know sometimes when we're in worship and all we're really doing is just worshiping the Lord I've seen people get healed in those moments I've seen people make things right with God in those moments I've seen God really do some amazing things so I would encourage you when you come into the house of the Lord man just surrender to God just worship him let him do what he wants to do amen man thank you worship team let's give them a big hand for just leading us into the presence of the Lord so today I'm going to read a scripture to you. We're going to continue our series, Follow the Leader, the Teachings of Jesus. We've kind of put an addendum on there. We're going to talk about the teachings of Jesus. And uh, today that's what we're going. We're going, to, we're going to learn about the first message Jesus preached. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to learn from it. So we're going to read it. And uh, this text is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. And uh, it is going to be up on the screen. You have your Bibles with you. I'd love for you to get your Bibles out turn there. But it's going to be up on the screen for you. And it's coming from the Amplified Version. And the reason is because I want you to get the full effect, the full understanding of every word in this passage of Scripture. And, uh, and I believe it's going to help. Now, it's a little bit lengthy, so I'm going to read rapidly. So just follow along. You can read with me if you want. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who actively seek right standing with God. For they will be completely satisfied, blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful. For they will receive mercy, blessed, 
anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm with life, joy in God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express His character and be called the sons of God. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with joy in God's goodness. Are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me, be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great absolutely inexhaustible for in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you now before we pray let's just give God a hand clap of praise for his word that should be hope to us today in this culture that should be life to us today in this culture Father we ask you to just take this moment these few minutes of teaching and we pray that you will you will use them Lord, I pray that everybody here's heart is prepared for your word this morning. I pray that the soil of our heart will be tilled up and it'll be soft and it'll be pliable. It'll be ready to receive the seed of your word. And that, God, it might take deep root and it might produce great fruit in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. there it sits perfectly I heard a story this week and I really enjoyed it so I'm going to share it with you um, it, it basically is about a, a, a carpenter and this carpenter he was an extremely good carpenter he's very good at what he did uh, very uh, strong was was asked for all over the community and even the region just everybody wanted this carpenter to build their house. And he worked and served with a, uh, one builder all his career, his entire career. Now, this guy, he, he, he was a good framer and he was a good finisher. He just did it all. And people absolutely just loved how he built and all the good things that he could do. And he was just magnificent at it. He went the extra mile. He did extra. He always went over and above. You always got more than what you asked for. You always got more than uh, what you thought you would get. He was one of those guys that didn't over-promise and under-deliver, but he was, or under-deliver. He was one of those guys that over-delivered and under-promised. He just was great at what he did. But he'd come to the end of his career, and he had talked to his builder, and he said, look, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I'm tired. I need to, I need to retire. I need to spend more time with my family. I, I, I'm just worn out, and so I'm, I'm going to retire. And the builder said, well, just, just do one more project for me. I just want you to do one more project. Could you, you got one more in you. And he said, all right, I'll, I'll do one more. And so he, did, he says to the builder, I'll do it. And the builder sets it up, gets the contract, and he's going to custom build this home. And so he just starts building. But as he said, he's tired. It's his last one. So he's not thinking the way he normally thought. He's not acting the way he normally acted. He, he's kind of cutting corners. He's not doing it. 
like he would usually. He's, you know, coming in a little bit late, going a little bit, I mean, coming in er, uh, a little late, going home a little early. He's, he's, he's not finishing things off like he would have. He's just not performing like normal because it's the last one and he's tired and he's out. So he produces this house, but it just isn't what he normally would do. And then after he's done, he finishes it up. He takes the keys. He hands it to the builder. And he said, here, it's ready to sell. And the builder takes the keys and gives it back to him and says, it's yours. I want to give it to you for all the hard work and all the effort and all the energy you've put in all these years. I wanted you to build this for yourself. Can we get a different mic? So in this process, here's what we find. We find an analogy with the way God works with us. Thank you. And this analogy shows us and reveals to us that when God asks us to do something, when, when God says this is the way things should be done, when God says do it my way, it's, it's not just because he wants the product to be good. It's not just because he wants us to show him what we're made of. It's not just because he wants to be obeyed and demands our subjugation to him. No, when God says, look, this is the way you do marriage. This is the way you do family. This is the way you do career. This is the way you do morality. This is the way you do life. He's saying it because he's handing the keys back to you, saying, if you'll do things the way I would want you to do it, you're going to end up with something great. And the sad part is that a lot of the times we do like this carpenter that's on his last build. And we, we, we are building, but we're not giving it our all. We're not doing it the way the master would want us to do it. We're doing it just to get by or we're doing it to survive or we're doing it to make to the next point or we're doing it to just somehow get better or get by. And I think what we need to understand today as we're studying this about Jesus is we need to understand that Jesus is saying, if you live life the way I tell you to live it, your life will be better. And sometimes we, 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 we hear people talk about Christianity this way. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you have, it's a lie. So don't believe it. But, you know, if you come to Jesus, you're not going to have any more problems. If you come to Jesus, if you become a Christian, you're not going to have any more issues, no more problems. Everything is going to be a-okay. Your family's going to get along. There's going to be lots of money in the bank. Just out of nowhere, gold is going to pile up in the bank for you. You're just going to, you're going to drive the best cars. You're going to live in the best houses. You're going to have a helicopter just because, you, you know, I mean, this is the way sometimes people act when it, you're not going to ever face depression or discouragement. You're never going to be tempted again. Jesus is going to fix all of that. And the truth is that's not true and sometimes when people start serving Jesus they get this feeling that nothing is required they get this feeling that it's just easy they get this feeling that there's nothing to it like just do your thing and it'll all work out and you'll go to heaven and this is not discipleship this is not the way to follow Jesus so what we have to do is we have to understand that there is a way that God wants us to live and the way that God wants us to live is not only good for eternity but it's also good for now 
and what God wants for you, even though life is hard because we live in a fallen world, because we live in hard times, because we live in difficult circumstances. Listen, just because things are hard doesn't mean that you're not going to be okay. God is going to see you through if you do life his way, because he knows what's best for you. How many, when you were a teenager, your parents would use that phrase, I know what's best for you. And in your mind, you think, you don't even understand me. <laughs> or was that just me? Was I the only one? No, the truth is, we serve a God who is omnipotent. It means he has all power. We serve a God who's omniscient, which means he knows everything. We serve a God who is omnipresent, which means he is all places at all times. He's in your past, present, and future all at the same time. He doesn't even operate within the context of time. He stands outside of time. So you think he's late. He knows he's right on time. Right? God is all-powerful. Matter of fact, the Old Testament describes God this way. He says, we serve. David the psalmist said, we serve a limitless God. There's nothing he can't do. I'm sorry. I'm going to let you behind the scenes for a second. I can't see over here. Are the lights off over here? It's driving me crazy. Can we turn the rest of the lights on? So I apologize. So let's, let's think about it this morning. Let's think about what God wants for our lives. And let's understand that, yes, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. But that's okay because God gives us the power to go through it. You know, th this world is full of sin because man fell. Man is sinful. We chose a path that was other than God. And when we chose that path, it brought sin into the world. And now every human being that's born in this earth is born in sin. So God didn't leave us that way, though he sent us a Savior, Jesus, his only begotten son, to die in our place, take the punishment that we should have to pay because of our sinfulness to a holy God. And instead, his own son took that wrath upon himself and set us free. All we must do now is believe and follow. That's all that we have to do is trust God and believe that Jesus is our answer, that he did die for our sins, that he did raise again from the dead so that we could have life. And then we just follow him and his ways. There's something very important. If you're going to have a biblical worldview, you need to think of it in three terms. And we've talked about this before. I want to keep reiterating it because this is what discipleship is birthed on or founded on. And this is it. And that is we need to understand God's word, but we need to understand God's ways and we need to understand God's will. It's very important that we don't just know his word. We have to know his word. But in his word, we need to find out his ways. Not just what God said, but how he does. You know, the psalmist David said this. He said, God, you are good. But he didn't stop there. He said, you are good. And how do I know that? Because you do good. In other words, the, the idea that God is good is a theological principle in the word of God. But then the idea that he does good is is that understanding of how he is. So I just don't know who he is. I know how he is. And then he has a will for me. This is why Jesus said that we should pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some translations say it this way. As it is in heaven, so let it be done on earth. In other words, our role as believers is to understand the will of God and manifest it in the earth. 
you want our culture to shift, then start manifesting the will and purpose of God in your life as an individual and stop worrying about it so much corporately and just start doing what God called you to do. Disciple people, make disciples, love Jesus, lead people to Jesus, and you'll start seeing a shift happen. Listen, this is not about understanding culture and trying to change it. This is understanding. This is about being uh, uh, literally counter to the current culture and understanding the culture of the cross i lay my culture i lay my society i lay my ideas my opinions my philosophies at the foot of the cross and i pick up the culture and ideas of jesus and i live my life accordingly that's the way this works so when we look at jesus in matthew excuse me in in this passage of scripture right here yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. When we look at Jesus here, let, let's take it into context. Because when I used to read the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know how you have thought about the Sermon on the Mount, but when I used to read the Sermon on the Mount, I always just thought that Jesus was saying, these are the kind of people that are blessed. I always, I always thought Jesus was saying, there's these kind of people, and then this is what happens to them because they're that kind of people. And, and then in a general sense, I thought, well, I should try to be like those kind of people. But then I didn't understand all those terms. What does that mean? How do I be, how do I, how can I become poor in spirit? And, and, and so what I've done is I've really researched this passage of scripture and I begin to understand. You, you, here, here's the deal. You can't read the Bible in segments. Now, we have a real problem in our culture today. And it's not just in Christianity, but it is in Christianity. And here's the culture. A lot of us are trying to teach and talk and communicate about God in a social media type format. Even when we're talking about him not in the context of social media. Everything is about sound bites. Everything is about tweetable statements. Everything is about, you know, being provocative. And can I just tell you that provocative does not equal profound. Provocative may get everyone's attention, but it doesn't mean that what's being said is profound. And, and we need to stop trying to have this tweetable theology and get serious about the context of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't tweet and witness that way. Tweet, 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 tweet away. But I'm saying your theology, when you tweet, should be backed up by studying the Word. And, and if we are going to make disciples, then first we have to be disciples. Turn to your neighbor right now, look them right in the eye, and say, be a disciple. So if you're going to be a disciple, then what do you have to do? You're following a teacher. Well, who's our teacher? Jesus. In order to carry the, 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 the title rabbi, you are a master teacher. And so anybody who follows a rabbi is following a master teacher. Well, our master teacher is Jesus. Now, the logical next step of a person who becomes a disciple is to also become a teacher. So first we have to learn so that we can tell. So it's important for us to get in the Word of God. Now, I know we're living in society now where we've just kind of consigned studying Scripture. We've just kind of consigned it to little blurbs and little, little, little two Scriptures here, two Scriptures there. Just read a little devotional every morning. I want to challenge you, church. Stop thinking like that. If you, if you strive for minimums, you achieve minimums. If we spiritually strive for the minimum, for the least amount, 
then that's what we get. That's what we achieve. That's what we become. I don't really want to be that serious about God. Well, if you're going to serve God, it's kind of an all or nothing proposition. Jesus said either follow me or don't follow me. He didn't say follow me a little bit. Matter of fact, when he, when he was talking to the people who followed him a little bit, he said, you make me sick. Jesus said that. Revelation says you're neither hot nor you're cold. You're lukewarm. I want to spew you out of my mouth. Because what he was saying is the city on one side, he was talking to the church at Laodicea. The city on one side of Laodicea had very hot water. And the properties of that water, you could get in to those properties and it had healing. Have you ever been to any kind of the hot springs in Arkansas or some different places? And it's supposed to have healing properties that, that, that helps with inflation, infl inflammation. It helps with all kinds of different things that are bad for you and kind of get those things out it's healing it's hot it's good and then on the other side of Laodicea there was a, a city that had cold springs and, and they were they were they were cold they were refreshing you could take a drink but they had to kind of pipe water in to Laodicea so by the time it got from one of these other places to Laodicea it was lukewarm and how many of you how many of you grew up when you drank out of the hose come on somebody Come on, that first drink, no good. Don't even drink it. Just let the rotter run for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Lukewarm makes you want to spit it out. It doesn't have any healing properties. It doesn't have any refreshing properties. And Jesus is saying Christians who won't make up their mind where they want to be in either healing or refreshing, they don't want to be deep. They don't want to go all in. They don't, they're sickening to the palate. So here we are trying to be friends with the world, try to get them to like us by becoming more like them, and hopefully they'll come to our side to serve Jesus. But they're saying, why would I come to your side to serve Jesus? You're no different than me. So what must I do? I must be that Christian that says I'm going to be cold and refreshing to people's lives or I'm going to be hot and healing to people's lives, but I refuse to be this middle of the road, mediocre, striving for minimums to achieve minimums. I, I don't want us, I'm, I have nothing against uh, uh, devotionals. I have nothing against it, but why have we minimized our spiritual walk down to, hey, read a couple of scriptures and pray if that's all you got time for. Somebody was telling me that um, they were talking to somebody the other day, and they were, they were just they, they were saying, hey, here's, here's an idea for how to serve God when you have a busy life. Take a few minutes and, you know, pray, or take a few minutes. And if you're in the book, the end of the Old Testament, how many of you are you're already getting convicted by what I'm saying because I am. I've thought about this this week, and I'm like, I'm already convicted. But at the end of the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel had started just going through the, the motions. They, they weren't really doing what they were supposed to do. They were just playing religious games. So in that time, they had to do sacrifices. They had to, you know, they brought sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. They would offer these sacrifices to God so it might be a sheep or a goat or whatever. And, and what they were supposed to do, what the law originally said was, they were supposed to bring the best. You go out into your, your uh, uh, sheep, or you go out into your goats, or you go out into whatever you're going to sacrifice, and you bring the best that you have. Don't you give something to God that's not your best. And, and, and they, they, they started coming to God, and finally God said, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. 
He told the prophets, I don't want you to tell them, don't give me any more sacrifices. And the reason was because they were, bring, they were bringing goats with one eye. They were bringing lambs with broke legs. And here, what does that mean to us? How, do we, how can we interpret that into our lives? He was saying, listen, I don't want your leftovers. God is saying, I don't want your time. I don't want the time you have left after you've worn yourself out doing everything else. I don't want your extra. I don't want your last bit of money if you can afford it. I don't want a little bit of your dedication. I want you to show me and yourself and the world that I'm first and that I'm important and that you want me and you desire me and you follow me and you love me as much as I love you. And, and, and to express his modeling of this principle, he literally gave his first and best to save us. Now think about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, so he's giving us a model here. So what he's saying in this Sermon on the Mount is saying, listen, this is the way my disciples should be. All in, 100%, both feet, study the word, grow in the word, develop in the word, and then just let that come out of your life. Let that manifest in relationships that you have. Matter of fact, have intentional relationships. Listen, one of the people I was discipling with this week, man, it was so good. It was just a moment. And they really received from it, but I did too. Like I, they, they had a, a specific situation, a specific thing they were dealing with. And they came and they just laid it on the table and said, let's talk about this. And we talked and as, and as God ministered through me to them, it was just such a powerful experience and ministered to their life but it ministered to me as well. See, this is a, this is a relationship with God where God uses us and he, and he uses us to minister and you get to experience this powerful thing that God does when you know what his word says and you give what it says to someone else. Now, what if, what, 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 what if you found something that was awesome? What if you won the lottery? You could not keep that to yourself. How many of y'all could keep it to yourself? How many of you would try? Some of y'all, I can hear the stingy wheels rolling like, I am not telling anybody I got this because I'll have cousins I never had show up and want my money. No, you, when something exciting happens in your life, you share it. Did you know that people who come to the Lord, by and large, about 85% come to the Lord have been won to the Lord by someone who's been saved for less than a year. Which means that as we mature in faith, we're doing less for God? That doesn't really make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense to me. But I can tell you what it is. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, because, you know, when you first get saved, you're like, oh, my God, this has changed my life. I want, I, I want everybody to know God like I know God. I want everybody's life to be changed like my life has been changed. I see so many people in my life who need Jesus. I'm going to share it with everybody. And so that's what we do. We try to, we try to share it with everybody. <clears throat> so 
We're excited because our life has been changed. So the excitement and the enthusiasm causes us to witness. So that's one reason. But the other reason is it takes about a year to get rid of all your unsaved friends. Hmm. Why is it so quiet in here? Everybody say amen or something. Oh, me. And why did I say that? Because I think sometimes we think we can no longer be friends with people who are sinners, but that's not true. What's true is you can no longer be equally yoked with friends that are sinners. You can no longer, you can no longer be tied to them as covenant friends. They can't be your best buds. They can't be who you're taking advice from. They can't be who you're... But if you don't know any people who don't know Jesus, how are you going to bring anybody to Jesus? And that's one of the big problems why no one brings people to Jesus. Because there's two problems, especially in, in, in the Bible Belt. There are two problems. One problem is uh, we, we, we think people don't want to hear it. And the second problem is we think everybody's going to heaven. Because we live in a small town, so that means everyone knows Jesus. Have you looked at the fruit lately? <laughs> Come on. Everyone doesn't know Jesus. Just because, you, just because you live in a small town doesn't mean you know Jesus. Just because you're in the Bible Belt doesn't mean you know Jesus. Uh, just because you do community service doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. Just because you do good things for people doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. Doesn't mean, just because you're a good neighbor doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. Are, are you guys hearing me this morning? Is this sinking in? So God's wanting us as disciples to say, hey, let's open up the floodgates. Let's, let's assume that everybody wants to know what I know. I'm not saying be, be people who go in and act like a know-it-all and start pushing people around with all your religious jargon. Nobody will even understand what you're saying. I'm just saying live the word. Talk about the word. Everybody says, well, I just live my life. I, don't, I just let people see my life. Well, how do they know you're not some other religion? I'm going to let the light of Jesus shine. Well, in our culture today that's so pluralistic, do you think that they just assume you're a Christian? <laughs> this is really good. Y'all smiled or something. I hope you're thinking about this this morning. Is that what's happening here? So, so think, about, th think about what God's asking us to do. He sets his disciples down. And he starts teaching them. Now, you have to understand the context. Remember, when he gives this Sermon on the Mount, it's not to the masses. Jesus was, there's a lot of people following him. Then he goes up on the mountain. And when he goes up on the mountain, the disciples follow him. So he's sitting around with the 12, and he begins to preach this message. So here's what he's saying. He's saying to them, if you want to be a disciple, this is what a disciple looks like. Right? And so let's just start. And we're not going to get through all of them today. But let's just start with the first thing he says. He says, blessed. I think it's wonderful that that's the first word that Jesus uses, blessed. In other words, if you follow me, if you're a disciple, if you have a relationship with me, you are blessed. You are blessed. How many of you love that idea of being blessed? In other words, in other words, does that mean everything's going to be right? No. Does that mean everything's going to go exactly perfect? No. But it, what it means is no matter what goes on and no matter what, no matter what I experience, I'm blessed. God is going to walk it out with me. He's going to give me favor in the situation. He's going to have his hand on the situation. He's going to walk the situation out with me. See, God delivers us. Sometimes he delivers us out of, but in other times he delivers us through. 
And we need to understand that if we follow him and we become a disciple, we are blessed. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I used to wonder, what does that mean? You, you would think that you'd be blessed if you were rich in the spirit. That you were, you were overflowing with the spirit. But that's not what it's talking about at all. He's saying poor in spiritual things. In other words, a person who totally recognizes that they need God. That without God, without that relationship, they are they are hopeless. And, and this is a person who is humble and, and has no religious arrogance at all. No pride at all. No uh, holier-than-thou mentality at all. Just a servant of God who loves people and loves God, understands they're not perfect, and understands that they are being perfected. This is a person who's poor in spirit, a person who's in desperate need and completely dependent on God to be saved and to be sanctified and to be filled with the Spirit and to go to heaven and to be blessed by God. This is what they know. And they don't try to do it on their own. And they're not arrogant in and of themselves. They're not trying to follow any kind of rule and say, because I followed this rule, God owes me. They're just saying, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, come in my life. And this is not supposed to be the, the before salvation part. See, a lot of times we say, well, that's how you are before salvation. No, no. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, this is how you are. Even when you're saved and you've been forgiven of your sins, even when God is sanctifying you and you're becoming a holy person. Even when you're maturing in your faith, you still should have this attitude. It's why they call them the be attitudes. In other words, God was saying to his disciples, these are the attitudes you should have. He's saying be humble. You're not arrogant. I don't care if you know everything about the Bible. You don't come off as someone who knows everything about the Bible. I don't care if you've been holy for years and you're just waiting on everybody to catch up. You never act like you're, that you, you're always humble. You're always lowly. You're always seeing God is your only source and your only help and your only need. You know who reminds me? This reminds me of a man named Zacchaeus. Y'all remember Y'all remember Zacchaeus? How many of y'all remember Zacchaeus from, did you, go to, did you go to church when you were little and you went to children's church or Sunday school and they talked about Zacchaeus? Anybody know that song? Come on, let's sing it together. Y'all want to sing it today? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree just to see what he could see. That is so politically incorrect. I tell you, y'all are bad people. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man. He was a very wealthy man. And he was a very well-respected man in his community. But he was a small man. And I don't know what he dealt with throughout his life. I don't know what went on. But he had gotten to the point in his life where all the money wasn't enough and all the respect wasn't enough and all the fame wasn't enough and all the people weren't enough. And he, he was a person that in the community you would, never, you would never see doing something like he did. But he heard about Jesus. And, you know, when, you, when things were going on back then and Jesus was going from town to town and he was healing people and he was raising the dead and he's casting out demons. I mean, he's unbelievable. And he was teaching things no one had ever heard before. And, oh, my God, who is this guy? And he heard he was coming to town and the crowds began together. And when the crowds began together, he couldn't see. 
Now, I wonder what his life was at this point. I wonder if he was insecure. I wonder if he was sad about certain things. I wonder if his life had, had been hard and difficult. I don't know. But I know this. At this point in his life, he was doing fine. He, he was a person who didn't even seem to really need a lot. He had tons of money. He was well-liked by the Romans, probably not so much by the Jews because he was a tax collector. But he was just, had it all together. But he was humble. And he lacked religious arrogance. And maybe because he, he was a sinner, but maybe because he was just really sincerely had a curious heart and a humble heart. And so he hears Jesus is coming. Now, think about this for a minute. Now, Quinn Alexander's a banker. And I love Quinn's one of the elders of our church. And Gary Henders is a banker. He's a, one of the elders of our church. And Jerry, uh, Jerry Hudson is here. And he, he's a business owner for 40 years. And very, very, uh, very great man. He's an elder in our church. And Joel, who's unable to be here today, sheriff. Um, these are men that have had experiences in the community. We have so many guys that are like that in the church. Principals and teachers and and these are guys in the community that, you know, you, you think that, hey, they're, they got it together. They're making it happen. They're, they're sharp. They're astute. I'm just going to be honest with you a little bit here that it would freak me out if I saw Quim climbing up a tree. I'd be like, what is, why is Quim climbing up the tree for the parade? I don't understand what's happening. But this is what Zacchaeus did. He, he was unencumbered by pride. He, he was unencumbered by fear. He was unencumbered by uh, the opinions of people. He, he didn't care what everybody thought about him. I mean, this is a wealthy man, a, a highly uh, respected man. He was a man of professionalism, and he didn't care. He had heard about Jesus. His life wasn't everything it could be, and he wasn't going to sit around and miss an opportunity. And he laid all his... His chips on the table. He just, he just took every bit of himself and said, I don't care. I will climb a tree before I miss this moment. And this is something that is so descriptive of disciples because disciples are that kind of people. I don't care how it looks. I don't care how others feel about it. I don't care if it's the popular thing to do or the non-popular thing to do. Can, can I teach you something? Something that, that uh, I had a discussion with someone in my, my extended family this last week. And it was really, they were trying to teach someone something. And it's something, especially the young generation. Listen, let me just share something with you. Right is right, no matter who's doing it. Even if nobody's doing it, right is still right. Wrong is still wrong, even if everybody's doing it. Even if everybody agrees with it. Even everybody's come tolerant of it. It's still, right is still right, wrong is still wrong. Here's the problem. Here's the thing that is challenging for so, so many of us that want to be disciples. It's that humility part where we're willing to go, right is right, but it's hard. Wrong is wrong, but it's easy. 
and, and, and we, it, truth is truth, but it's hard. Deceit is deceit, but it's easy. <laughs> this is why another one of Jesus' teachings said, go the narrow way, not the broad way. And we're struggling. Young people, listen to me. It doesn't matter if it's convenient. It doesn't matter if there's no resistance. It doesn't matter if it's, it's the thing to do and everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter if, if you have to stand alone, if you have to go the hard route, if it's the most inconvenient, uncomfortable thing to do, stick with truth. Because in the long run, truth will not destroy you, but deceit will. Right will not destroy you, but wrong will. And in the long run, you won't be standing with anybody else and saying, well, they, you'll just be standing by yourself. And that's not in only in eternity, but that's in life that's right now. The Bible's very clear. It says there is a way in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man. We understand that in our cultural relativism and our moral relativism that exists so prevalently in our society today. We understand that there is a way that seems right. Seems like everybody's saying this is right. Seems like this is the way it should be. It seems like everybody, and, and it's about big things. It's about small things, but more importantly, it's about cultural things. In other words, it affects every aspect of our life. We are looking upon reality from a worldview that accepts the fact that it's okay if truth is hard to avoid it. Or it's okay if truth is inconvenient to avoid it. Because when it just comes down to it, it's easier to do what's easier to do. And we don't think about what's to come. So he says, have this heart that says, I don't care. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I, I don't care. Even, I don't even care how these other religious people are acting. They act, they're doing this and they're doing that. I don't care. I'm not involved in all that. Here's what I know. I've heard about Jesus. I want a relationship with Jesus. And I will climb a tree if I have to to see Jesus. I will run, uh, like David said, I'll run through a troop and leap over a wall. The power of God is so strong and so prevalent and so important to me. Listen, we've got to get this in our spirit that we need. God. We, we don't want God. God is not an option. What is optional for one generation is unnecessary to the next. God is not an option. A relationship with Jesus, we need it. We don't want it. We need it. I need Jesus. Somebody said the other day, I love what her said, man, do I really need Jesus to get to heaven? I said, brother, you need Jesus to get to Walmart. Come on. So let's take on that, that first principle that Jesus said, that poor in spirit, that humility. He says, God, I mean, especially us that have been saved for a long time, and we know Jesus, and we can get so heady about our spiritual walk and so judgmental about other people. Paul had to remind the church many times, hey, you're forgetting you were like that. Jesus saved you. Just that humble, I need Jesus. I'll do whatever Jesus for Jesus. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want that blessing in my life. How about you? And that is the image of a disciple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.